This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome everyone to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I am your host. And on today's podcast, we've got another great conversation, Alan Fadling. He serves as a frequent speaker and consultant with local churches, national organizations, and leaders internationally. His content is approachable, usable, and transferable. He shows leaders how to get perspective so their leadership flows from a full soul and out of healthy rhythms of rest and work. A trained spiritual director, Alan is the author of An Unhurried Life, An Unhurried Leader, and A Year of Slowing Down. And his latest book is A Non-Anxious Life. We'll leave links, as always, to all of his information and the books and where you can purchase them in the show notes. Um, But this is a great conversation, especially this time of year, Uh, when we all at least try to slow down a little bit, do some reflecting, um, but to integrate this into a lifestyle and not just once a year. So with that, I'll turn it over to Richard, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Alan Fadling. Well, those of you who listen to our podcast know that I particularly enjoy having special guests on that uh, have expertise in many areas I do not. And also uh, that are being used by the Lord to impact the world for Christ. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, Alan Fadling is uh, the author of An Unhurried Life, Following Jesus' Rhythms of Work and Rest. And those of you who've listened to this podcast or know me personally know that uh, this is not one of my strong points, being unhurried. Uh, This is an area that I definitely need this book for, and uh, I think you'll discover why uh, as we unpack this podcast. But Alan, welcome to the podcast today. Richard, thank you so much for the invite. I've been looking forward to the conversation. Well, I have to tell you, this was a book I read not just out of my own interest in uh, issues related to leadership, but uh, there are some books just by the title, I have to brace myself and say, okay, God, uh, let, let me have it. I know it's coming. And uh, this was certainly one of them. And mm. as, you, uh, as you write this book, uh, you, you start off and tell a bit of your story. And in the beginning, you sound like a typical minister uh, coming into a church, wanting to do a good job, trying to have success. Uh, but along the way, you, it's like you had a divine appointment. God kind of intercepted you. And everything changed. Well, could you tell us a little bit about that journey so we kind of know how you started out and what caused you to take a 90-degree turn along yeah. the way? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, so, yeah, I you know, I was mentored in ministry like many, uh, many of, uh, of us who are in pastoral sort of roles uh, in a what I would now call a rather hurried mode of, of church leadership. You know, it's kind of like the more that's on the calendar, the better. You know, the mm-hmm. more hours you're putting in at church, the better. And yeah. I was young. I was uh, working full-time in a local church. I was uh, attending a nearby seminary full-time. I was newly married. I'm sort of sad to say maybe my priorities were about in that order. Hmm. Um, and yeah. I was burning out at 28. Wow. Now, that's bad pacing. If you're burning <laughs> out at 28, that, yeah. you, yeah. you have not, you're not thinking <laughs> marathon, you know. Um, and... I really had a crisis of ministry, not so much a crisis of faith, but I just knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, how I was doing it for much longer. Mm. And it was really at that time, I was about 1990, 
when God brought some mentors into my life, and they uh. were just as engaged in important work, but their souls were running at a different pace. Huh. And uh, that that encounter put me on what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction that has now been 30-some years. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you, you, you talk a lot about speed and just the speed uh, in our culture, speed for those who are working. Uh, and you've got, you, you have some great quotes throughout your whole book. Uh, a couple of those I really uh, appreciate. You call yourself a recovering speed addict. Mm-hmm. And you, I love this uh, question. You said, why do I rush through this world as though it were an all-you-can-eat buffet right before the restaurant closes and the serving trays are about empty? <laughs> uh, and uh, I've been there. I've been that guy trying to get my money's worth at the, at the buffet line. And sometimes I think that's a great description of life, just rushing through. Mm-hmm. And, and one, one, one last quote you had there, the, the pace of my life often feels much less like a playful breeze and much more like a hurricane. Uh, mm-hmm. So what, why is it, what is it about, and especially a ministry, I mean, people that are serving God, serving in the church, you, you'd think that we would have a, a more of a divinely set pace, but, but I mean, sometimes we're the... We're going as fast or faster than a lot of folks just out there working in the business world. Yeah, I well, you know, I I've been in a ministry sort of role for forty years, my whole adult life, and I there are probably a lot of reasons that I think we struggle in this way. One of the ones that's come into focus for me is that it's the old idea that a lot of us think we are what we do, hmm. and so if you believe that, of course, doing more only makes sense. Yeah. I mean, doing yeah. less is an exercise in proving you're a nobody. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but but if I if who I am is more of a gift God's giving me than a paycheck that I'm earning, mm-hmm. that will change the pace of my life. Instead of feeling like I I need my work to prove something about who I am, what I learn is that work is just one of the many good places I get to share who I am. Huh. And so that unhurried pace to me is more about a, a life that's rooted in grace. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't really see ourselves and, and our identity uh, as a gift God's giving us. Well, you know, Alan, I was, uh, I was, a, I was a pastor's kid, and uh, I don't know, I, I guess I was a little sensitive about, I mean, my dad was as hard at work in the guy as any I knew, but I, I almost, yeah. I, I, it was almost like the one insult. I, I've been insulted in many different ways over the course of my life, but the <laughs> one thing even my enemies never said about me was that I was lazy. And I just, I hated, I, I, I just felt like if you're serving God, you ought to be the hardest working guy out there because you've got the most mm. important thing, work to do. And I, I saw pastors that just, I just felt were fairly lazy most of the they had a pretty pretty good gig you know show up on sunday yeah. and pretty open uh, unaccountable schedule for most of the week and so i just vowed that wasn't going to be me but uh but of course you can the pendulum can swing way way too far the other way i mean if you're trying to prove something how much do you have to do until you feel like you've actually proved it <laughs> exactly but and you the answer talk... to that is just a little more, right? <laughs> <laughs> just a little, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, you talk uh, you talk a lot about rest, and mm. I think there's a lot of people listening. Whether you're a pastor or you're a business person, whatever it is you do, there's a lot of tired people out there. Um, and you're, when you talk about rest, though, you're not talking about just a power nap. 
there's a much, much deeper rest that has much longer lasting implications. And, and what, what do you mean by that? Uh, in, in having a life of, of where you pace yourself and you're getting the kind of rest that your soul as well as your body needs. Yeah. Well, that, I think this is important. And I, I think your comments about laziness are, are important because for a lot of us, rest sounds like laziness. Like, yeah. you yeah. know, why would you want any more of that in your life? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've talked about these ideas in India where the caste system is such that, you know, those who are considered more important or higher up on the on the levels, the last thing they want to be seen is is as lazy, hmm. like some of those below them as they see themselves. But hmm. I think we have a lot of reasons why we struggle. I love a line in the Psalms. One of the older NIV versions said, my soul finds rest in God alone. Huh. And the minute you hear that sentence, you know that's not about necessarily just sleep or vacation or nap or whatever. It's, it's a deeper reality. Wow. So it's, it's about living my life with the awareness that I have what I need because God is my shepherd. Hmm. It's grace and peace as the atmosphere of my life. And so... I think for some of us, we see the word rest, and what we really think we're seeing is the word work with a slash through it. <laughs> like, I'm yeah. not working, and therefore I'm not producing, and therefore I'm not important, and I don't matter. Hmm. But rest is a gift from God just as surely as work is a gift from God. And in some hmm. ways, even in the story of the Scriptures, the first full day of human existence is a day of rest. Huh. Yeah. And yeah. and and I think that matters because rest is where I remember who I am. Mm. And that way work becomes the place I get to express who I am. If work mm. is where I prove who I am, then rest has no place in my vision. Well, so how so what do you do? I mean, there are listeners here I'm sure that are saying, "Hey, Alan, I would love to have that rest. I'm exhausted. I'm stretched as thin as I could be." Where do you even begin? I mean, you, you know, I, I mean, and anytime someone tells, you know, ask the question, the audience, are you going too hard? Are you going, are, are you going too fast? Do you need to rest? I'll, I'll put my hand up, but then I don't know what to do about it. <laughs> I, I just, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of stuck. You feel like you're on the treadmill and you can't get off. Well, I just recently did a little bit of writing for one of our podcast episodes about rest. And one of the things that really, I had never really thought deeply about this, but think of how many different ways God builds rest into the life of Israel. Huh. He gives them a weekly Sabbath, mm -hmm. which often they weren't even able to honor because, you know, their slavery in Egypt, they had no choice. They couldn't take a day to rest mm. as God had invited them. There were feast days. There was an every seven years rest for the land, which maybe is a, a rationale for some of the ideas of sabbatical we've, we're hearing more and more about these days. Uh -huh. God gave his people more rest than we realize. Hmm. And I think he's giving us more rest than we hmm. realize. So hmm. for example, um, Sabbath, um, what if every week you took a day and instead of measuring it by productivity, you just enjoyed it. Huh. You enjoyed the people God's given you. You enjoyed the place where God's planted you. You enjoyed a bit of rest, whatever rest looks like. And rest can look different for different folks. Yeah. Uh, for extroverts and introverts, it can look different. Mm. 
Yeah. And but you know, I think you, you, you get like into that, that uh, in the book, but rest isn't necessary just watching four hours of sitcoms on TV in the <laughs> evening, right? Because you, right? you can be not working in a sense and yet emotionally, spiritually not be in any way rested after that activity. There's certain kinds I, of activities, I think, that rest your emotions, rest your soul, besides just, you know, mindlessly just, you know, ODing on, on media and things like that. I think you're exactly right. And, and th in fact, I think the challenge is, uh, maybe the way I would say it is, we've usually been taught pretty well how to work. We've had mentors for work. Mm -hmm. Not very many of us have been taught how to rest. Yeah. yeah. We really just don't even know how to do it. So a lot of us, I think we settle for numbing hmm. rather than moving on to resting. The problem with yeah. numbing is when you're numb, you don't feel tired. But that huh. doesn't mean you're getting refreshed. It just means you don't feel tired. There's a difference. Yeah, yeah, great point. Well, you you have a number of phrases I really liked. And uh, and one of those, you talk about moving at the pace of grace. Mm. That was, that really caught my attention. Uh, what does that look like? It sounds wonderful, but what does that mean, moving at the pace of grace? Well, one of my mentors, his favorite biblical idea was the grace of God. And he mm. would say that grace is God's empowering presence. Mm. Grace is God's great and generous provision for us. Grace is, you know, to use a theological word, word it's, it's his prevenient initiative. He's huh. working before I'm working. Huh. And so for me, pace of grace is a way of saying, I see my life as a gift. I see my work as a gift. I see my relationships as a gift. And so instead of imagining that my life is full of things I have to achieve or earn or deserve, I'm actually living a life where I am absolutely surrounded by generosity. Hmm. That changes what happens in my soul. Hmm. It changes how I treat people. I, I don't find myself as often treating people as someone I need something from. Huh. I find I can go to those people and I can bring something to them. Wow. And so grace has a way of slowing us down on the inside in the best sense so that we could be maybe more loving, uh, more mm. peaceful, uh, mm. more kind. All mm. of those are slower virtues, I think. Huh. Well, and if you realize God is the one guiding you, he, he works in your life with grace. If, if you're feeling he's not going to guilt you, he's not going to put a guilt trip on you to do more. Right. And, and there's so many, if you understand the voice and the ways of God, it's always going to be with grace. And you can trust that. You can trust that grace. It's for That's your right. own uh, well-being. And uh, yeah, I just, I love that phrase. And you, now I'm, I'm working on a project right now myself on discipleship. And hmm. uh, I, I, my definition of being a disciple is, is if I would just boil it right down, I would say discipleship is following Jesus. It's yep. not just believing in Jesus, not worshiping Jesus, studying about Jesus. It is getting out of your boat and following him where he leads you uh, yeah. and, being, and being with him and fellowshipping with him and listening to him, learning as you follow him, not learning by going to a study at the church once a week. And so I, I was uh, really pleased when I, you, you talk about a, a point in your ministry, uh, working with others, where you said we were learning to follow Jesus together. The focus was less and less on our activities for him 
and more on our working with him. We were learning how to follow him. And then you and you conclude say, and it was one of the hardest years of my life in ministry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why, why would that be? Uh, you know, because you've been you'd been successfully growing your ministry before. But as you start to teach people to follow Jesus, that's you know, you can have someone show up. You can have them memorize a scripture verse every week. You can have them complete a curriculum. But why is it so hard to teach people to follow Jesus? Well, the way one way I would say it is that though it is a hard way to live, when you turn the Christian life into things to manage and things to do, it feels more like you can get your wrap your arms around it. Feels hmm. like you can figure it out and control it. When you start getting out in the wild west of people's <laughs> actual lives and their struggles and their temptations and their wounds and their stories, and try to help real people connect with the real God, that just ends up being messier than than you expect. That that was my experience. Yeah. Well, you know, and with with the uh, the background that I have with experiencing God, uh, hmm. my dad would just say, it's a lot easier to be involved in religious activity than to <laughs> develop a relationship with Jesus where you actually have to know his voice and know where he's taking you. Just simply, just tell me what I need to do. What what rituals, what, what am I supposed to believe? I'll just do all that. Uh, but developing a relationship, that takes time. <laughs> and, That's exactly uh, right. And well, like and any I relationship. Think, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no worries. I, I was just going to say, I realized in those early years of ministry for me, the ministry was mostly whatever the latest cool thing was. Huh. And so I can look over the last 40 years and see a whole string of this is what was really exciting and important in the church. And my ministry was just kind of going from thing to thing to thing, figuring out what the program was, mastering it, implementing it, getting people excited, getting people involved, getting people tired, <laughs> yeah. and then getting people yeah. sick and tired of this thing <laughs> we were doing. So right about then, I would look for whatever's the next thing yeah. to get them excited about, get them involved in, get them busy with. And eventually tired of. <laughs> the thing is that life with God never happens like that. Hmm. There's always something new. There's always something fresh, you know, that his love is new every morning. Hmm. There's something alive about communion with God that just isn't true when you're implementing the latest cool program yeah. that everybody else is doing. Yeah. You know, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but my oldest son is a church planter. And uh, when he uh, when he went through COVID and came out the other side, it broke his heart. The people that didn't come back that that and and he basically uh, he, what really impacted me. He said, "Dad, what I realized was I'd been making church attenders. I had not been making disciples." He oh, said, "It was ouch. all about getting people to be there at the service each week, and if they came relatively often, I felt I was successful as a pastor." But he said, if had they been disciples, they they'd have come back. They just they'd still be here. But but they're just, you know if all you're doing is showing up for a service or something, that there's just a whole lot more to discipleship than that. Um, and and just so it takes more work. You 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 make a, you make an interesting statement. You say genuine productivity is not about getting as much done for God as we can manage. It's doing the good work God actually has for us in a, in a given day. And then you ask on the next page, what if I learn to work from a place of unhurried abiding? 
Now, that almost yeah. sounds like a contradiction in terms, getting things done and unhurried abiding. <laughs> I know there's some yeah. type A's listening to this that are saying, aren't those like mutually exclusive? How, if you're just abiding in an unhurried way, how are you going to get anything done? Yeah, no, that's fair. So one of the things I always want to say is that when I talk about uh, unhurried, some busy leaders think I don't get much done. Uh. And I get that. I understand. But I will also say that someone like Thomas Merton said that sometimes busyness is the most insidious form of laziness. Hmm. There are ways to be busy that get very little done that matters. Hmm. Hmm. I've had whole days filled with things I got done that I got to the end of and wondered, did any of that actually matter? Will I care about that tomorrow, let alone a year or five years from now? Yeah. So to me, one of the ways to get at this is Jesus is the one who invites us to abide. He's the one who says, I'm the real vine. You're the branch. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, nothing. Yeah, and we don't I believe think, that part, do we? Verse five. No, Apart from me, no. you can do nothing. We don't. We don't really. You can tell we don't believe it because there's a lot of pastors who say they're too busy to to abide. <laughs> That's exactly right. And yeah. so, what I want to say is, if you think about it, a, a farmer, a farmer doesn't create wheat. A farmer does all kinds of things that helps wheat grow, but wheat grows because God grows wheat. Hmm. That's true for souls as well. Hmm. What we do in my case as a pastor, I don't cause people to become disciples. I cooperate with the Jesus who invites them to be disciples. Hmm. And I am a co-disciple. I'm alongside them. I'm walking with them. I'm learning to follow just as they are learning to follow. And that indirectness of fruit that will last is one of the things I think we really struggle to understand like when I look, one of the ways I would say it is when I look back 5, 10, 20, 30 years, I almost never think about my ministry in terms of things I did. I almost always think about people I walked wow. alongside in those seasons. Wow. I think that's an unhurried way and a more fruitful way to mm. do whatever work God's given us to do. Mm. You know, my dad was the most impactful uh, person I ever knew. Uh mm. And he, and yet he was, he was always abiding. He was always had his Bible open and was spending time with God. Uh, and what I learned from my dad is you can't give to others what you don't have yourself. And so right. he kept filling himself up with God. And I tell you what, you don't have to encounter God for very long to have, to experience a great impact. And I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and told me that they had a 10 minute conversation with my dad that changed their life forever. And yeah. I'm thinking, you know, if, if you can change a life in 10 minutes, you, how can you do it? You don't have to spend hours and hours. You just have to be yeah. so full up of Jesus that when they encounter you after just 10 minutes of the overflow of your abiding with Jesus and their life yeah. may never be the same again. So I've, I've, I've seen it's not, it used to be I'd have to counsel someone two or three hours and hope that I, I got them to move an inch. Uh, and I realized, but if I've, if I've been abiding and I'm full of God and his word and his spirit, boy, I tell you what, you don't need long uh, before God makes a difference in that person's life. And, and you, I, you, uh, you, now I just, the, the last book that I, I wrote uh, that came out this year is called The Ways of God. And so I was, hmm. uh, I was delighted when I saw that you, uh, you get into that as well. 
I always like that when I, other writers and, and people are, are affirming things that I, I thought were important. <laughs> Pretty uh, nice. Feel, <laughs> so that's when I know I really like the, 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 the authors, when mm. they have a similar <laughs> viewpoint to me. But, uh, but you said we must learn to follow Jesus' way rather than our own. And then you said, do, do you and I sometimes try and do God's will, but not in God's way? And finally, uh, you said his unchanging methods have been very effective for a long time. Uh, why, why is that? I mean, why is that important? Uh, why would you say uh, taking time to understand God's way as opposed to just charging out the gate and doing the best that we can? Yeah, well, to me, again, this brings us back to those lines from Jesus in the upper room when he describes himself as the true vine. If he says that, then it means there are also false vines that we try yeah. to attach ourselves to. And the thing mm -hmm. about false vines is they suck from us. They don't give to <laughs> us. Yeah. You know, they yeah. suck life. They draw away um, our, our life. So I think the ways of God are going to be rooted in what matters to God. And we yeah. know what matters to God. He calls them great commandments. Yeah. Love God, love your neighbor. That yeah. has worked for thousands of years. And mm. it still works today. And mm. so, you know, the ways of God are going to be rooted in a, a way of living and a way of working that fosters a deeper, deeper communion and conversational relationship with God. But it's also going to look like a way of living and working that blesses people, wow. that shows practical, measurable love for neighbor. And so, therefore, the ways of God are going to look a whole lot like the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to look loving and joyful or peaceful, mm. or patient, or kind, or good. That mm. is actually essential to at least my understanding of what the ways of God are. Huh. Of course, uh, God says in Isaiah 55, our ways are not his ways. Uh, our, our natural instinct is not to do things God's way. We've, uh, we've been immersed in the world's ways our whole life. And, and so my dad used to always say, if a plan makes sense to me, it probably didn't come from God. Because, uh, because he said, because I just would not come up with the way God would do it. But of course, his ways glorify him, and the world's ways tends to glorify us. And so, yeah, uh, we've often said in this podcast, it's possible to do the right thing, but to do it the wrong way, and uh, yes. and that press that that confuses a lot of people because they they meant well, they just did it the wrong way. Uh, and so I, I was great. And you and you you quote you've got some great quotes. I really appreciate just uh, the breadth of your reading and some of the folks that you've uh, planted your life uh, alongside. And uh, and I my dad introduced me to Elton Trueblood when I was starting oh. out in ministry as well. And I've got a bunch of his books. And uh, and you made he he you quote him as saying, "A person who is always available is not." worth enough when he is available. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, yeah, that's like, oh, burn. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? Uh, if you're always available, you may not be worth all that much when people get you. Yeah, so that quote comes in a passage where Trueblood is talking about his, his encouragement to take a day a month to go away and be with Jesus. Hmm. And that it was a rhythm, no matter how busy his life got as a philosopher, a professor, an author, a speaker, all the things that filled his schedule, he set aside some part of a day. And in that passage, he says, those of us who are busy will know how hard it is to practice a discipline like this. But the fact that it's hard doesn't mean that it's not good. Yeah. And so to me, that those rhythms of stepping back, 
what D Dallas Willard called the disciplines of abstinence or disciplines of disengagement. Those are the places where we experience filling so that, that, that our work, instead of giving the last three drops of what's happening in our soul, it's the overflow of what's happening in my soul. So you know, we can go to someone like Bernard of Clairvaux who loved the image of a reservoir. Mm -hmm. which is to say a reservoir at its best, although in California it hasn't worked this way for the last <laughs> few years, uh, a reservoir at its best keeps a level and gives what is excess uh, downstream. Mm. I think that is a beautiful image of what ministry or work of any sort could be, that mm. I could go to the places I go from a place of fullness of soul mm. and then give from that fullness without doing harm to my soul. Mm. My dad always talked about just ministering out of the overflow. And oh, uh, and the yeah. problem for many of us is that we're empty and we're still trying to minister and we have nothing to give. Uh, and to to actually have time where you pull away to fill your cup back up uh, is... I know a lot of people feel guilty for that, but but if you've got yeah. nothing to give, uh, it's it, it's your past due just to pull away and uh, take that time and not and you don't have to feel guilty because it's only going to benefit everyone around you when you've filled yourself back up and you you yeah. said an interesting thing about sabbath I, I really like the way you said it you said god never meant sabbath to be an enslaving you can't day as much as a freeing you don't have to day and i think a lot of us especially a lot of the folks that are driven type a's we, we just don't do sabbath very well mm. Uh, yeah. And I, what, what do you mean by you don't have to day? Because I, I think we get, we just, we don't, we don't necessarily understand what Sabbath is even for, do we? I, I think we really struggle as a culture. I, I recently was talking to a group, and uh, one, one of the things I said was that you know we tend to have a very, very strong work ethic, but almost no rest ethic. Hmm, yeah. We don't see yeah. the goodness of rest. Yeah. We think it's a not category. It's a negation. It's an empty spot. It's hmm. a vacuum, you know. <laughs> I think Sabbath is in some ways the most substantial day of the week, if you understand what it is. Huh. It's a day for giving God the gift of your full attention as best you can. Hmm. Um, it's a day to enjoy and celebrate the good things God gives. It's a day to be filled with thank yous instead mm. of more accomplishments or achievements or activities. Mm. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the phrases Leviticus and Numbers especially uses is the Sabbath was a day to do no regular work. That's mm. an interesting phrase. The yeah. work that would usually fill a day, Sabbath is a day where you don't have to do mm. that. I just realized that a lot of times my work has been driven by a feeling of have to rather mm. than by a feeling of get to. Mm. Mm. And so that's why I think a, a Sabbath day is that day where I get to be a dad, a husband, a human being, a mm. child of God. And that gets to shape my agenda for the day, rather yeah. than a servant, a worker, an employee, a boss, an owner, you know, those roles that are also part of my life. When I live Sabbath well, that becomes a kind of reservoir that overflows into my work week. Well, and of course, y y we've got Monday facing us. Uh, if you're taking your <laughs> Sabbath on, on a Sunday, then you're, and you've got a whole work week ahead of you. And I, I would think that 
<clears throat> how you do that Sabbath could have huge implications for how you enter into that work week. If you've been just working and wearing yourself out and spending yourself on that day too, then you're, you're going into the week, uh, you know, half, half empty to start with and, uh, or more. And, uh, so yeah, I, there's a lot, and I, I don't know that I've, I've necessarily always done that well, but, uh, I, I, I'm, as I, as I get older, I think, and busier, I'm, I'm seeing that Sabbath more and more as a gift, not a burden, uh, yeah. not a, not an obligation, but what, what a gift to not feel guilty about just being able to just sort of slow down and, yeah. uh, embrace those good things in life, uh, before another busy week. Well, I wonder if we could imagine that we actually practice a discipline like Sabbath, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. Yeah. Like maybe they need me to rest. (laughs) Maybe they don't need me to be the frantic, busy person I am. Maybe it would help even other people if I took a day and didn't measure it by what I was producing and Mm. gave myself to people just as a person instead of uh, a a provider of goods or an achiever of of goals or or Mm. whatever. Well, well, I've got just a couple more questions. I, I, you, I, I, we could talk for a long time because you had <laughs> uh, just page after page of quotes that made me stop and and think. But you, you, you said an interesting uh, uh, statement as well when you said, "If our longings were always easily fulfilled, they might not have the opportunity to become deeply rooted." And of course, waiting on the Lord can be such a challenging thing sometimes, and and sometimes it's confusing. It's like God, what I what I'm asking for is is a good thing. Why would you? Why are you not giving that to me? And yet, yeah. uh, his he's never seemed God never seems to be in as big of a hurry as we are. Uh, <laughs> what what do you mean by that? Why 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 might God be delaying perhaps or going slower than we would like Him to in our life? Yeah, well, I think there's probably more than one answer to that. One thing I would say is that when it comes to our desires, temptation is almost always rushing us to do something now. Hmm. Chase that now. You need this solved now. Hmm. That's probably just a good thing to keep in the back of our minds <laughs> yeah. in terms of yeah. one reason why God may seem to delay is he's trying to protect us from chasing down something we think we want, we think we need, that may not be as good for us as we imagine it. Hmm. But the other thing I would say is that I think one of the reasons God uh, will sometimes seem to delay, seem to be slow as it relates to what we're concerned for and asking for, is that what we think we need is something from God, when mm. actually what we most need is God. Huh. Yeah. There's a big difference. And I yeah. can get so riveted to the thing I want from God that it can become a, a virtual idol in mm. my soul. Now, I'm not saying that's true of every request, but I can get awfully attached to what I want God to do so that it's not as easy for me to be attached to just who God is. Hmm. And there is a big difference. So I think as we move forward in our journey with God, there'll be moments where what I hope for, what I want may not come immediately, but that may be the chance for me to remember, no, my soul finds rest in God alone. Hmm. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Yeah. My body longs for you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing for my soul, to realize yeah. what I most deeply and truly want. Yeah. And sometimes that waiting helps us focus. You know, mm-hmm. I think 
we're, we're just used to snapping our fingers and having everything at our disposal. And uh, I think sometimes God gets, he waits <laughs> until he's got our full attention. We know how much we need him. Uh, and then, then the gifts come along with that. But well, two, two last questions for you. One is, uh, now, I, I, people that have listened to me know that uh, probably of all the things my dad teaches, the, what he's got more pushback on than anything else is that he has the audacity to say that God actually communicates with people. And yeah. you don't, you know, they, they, there are people, there are Christians who get scared to death of what that could lead to. People start hearing from God all the time. <laughs> Yeah. But I suspect, and I really appreciate you talking about this, the slowing down, the things that you can hear when you're not running at breakneck speed, uh, and when you rest and you have Sabbath and you build that that margin into your life where it, it's amazing where all of a sudden you start hearing things that perhaps you couldn't hear when you were going faster. And how, yeah. how what, what might be some encouragement with people who are saying, you know, I'm I'm stressed. I'm, I'm anxious. I'm, I'm going 90 miles an hour. I, I haven't heard from God for a long time. I'm just trying to keep my head above water. What, yeah. what encouragement maybe that, that some of these practices might just help you to hear from God better? Yeah. So I, I appreciate, you know, the, the pushback that your dad experienced, you know, Dallas Willard's first book was In Search of Guidance. It's really about listening to God. And Richard Foster's early works, in many ways, those practices were about cultivating a kind of listening relationship with God. Hmm. I just think that's what a relationship with God is. I can hardly imagine a relationship with no communication. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so uh, what I would say is that practices that had helped me slow down, like a day a week that's not measured by productivity— like an occasional day where I follow Jesus to the lonely place to pray, like Luke reports hmm. in chapter five, uh, moments to be still and simply do nothing more than to remember that God is God. Hmm. I need that. My soul needs that. I need to remember God's God and I'm not God. That's yeah. a bad habit of mine to imagine <laughs> I'm the one in charge of everything. Yeah. Uh, I'm, the, well, I'm the one running everything. And I've, I've just discovered the reason I have sometimes not heard God is I'm going too fast to hear the voice of God. Mm. I'm mm. like driving, you know, freeway speed on a on a on a, you know, a long straight stretch of road, and everything's a blur right next to me. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Uh, I have had the joy of cycling a lot of the West Coast, and when you're mm. cycling, that's a lot slower, yeah. and you see more, you enjoy more, you notice more. I've just seen that when I slow down inside, I notice more. And, inclu- mm. and what's included in that is I notice uh, the hand of God at work. I notice the voice of God speaking. Mm. I notice the presence of God with me in ways that I don't at a mm. more hurried pace. And you talk in your book about just getting away, just getting out, you know, looking out on a mountain or just getting out into nature and just take. And, of course, we all would like to do that. We all think we don't have time to. Uh, yeah. But but just getting out of the normal pace, the normal view that you have, and getting somewhere perhaps where it's uncluttered or more nature, and um, and you might just be surprised what you hear. Well, one last question, and mm. I, I thought this was very interesting, and I I I was challenged uh, by this. I you talk uh, you, you help organizations. You'll come in and they're trying to find direction, maybe you know develop plans for the future and. You come in to help them with that, and then a practice that you uh, use a lot is: why don't you take 
so much time at the beginning and go separately and just listen. And I, and I've had groups, you know, that really wanted to get a whole detailed plan and, and all spelled out and uh, with sub points. And you're taking the first 30 minutes to just go away and listen. That seems so impractical. Uh, yeah. And yet, uh, as you share, oftentimes, even though you've taken a bit of time at the front end to basically try to hear from God, the the results are much richer and you actually can accomplish more uh, if you've done more than just say a token opening prayer before you get down to your own thinking the rest of the day. Yeah, no, I think that's so important. And I think what we don't realize is what people bring to the meetings we lead, hmm. whether those are board meetings or staff meetings, whether those are longer strategic planning meetings. If you've got somebody who's bringing great woundedness in their soul, great discouragement, great weariness, and you don't address it, then that will that will impact every agenda item you talk about for however mm. long you are together. The reason board meetings go too long is rarely about the agenda. It's more about the souls and the uh, the condition of souls of the people around the room. Huh. Huh. And so that's why I think, you know, I, I have a hard time imagining Jesus with his disciples taking five minutes to say a real quick prayer mm -hmm. and then talk about the plans for their mission for the next three weeks. I just have a hard time imagining that's how Jesus would conduct himself with his inner circle. What yeah. I have seen it time and time again, I one time, I could tell you a long version. Here's the short one. There was a university. They were facing some significant challenges. They had a three-day strategic planning retreat that probably was going to make or break the university's future. Hmm. I propose we spend the first day of the three with God, in community, praying and if it weren't for the fact that the president was a friend and had already been a part of some <laughs> retreats, that never would have happened. Yeah, that was a pretty right? bold request. <laughs> it was pretty scary. She she yeah. was very nervous. And so day two, hour one, we're starting on the agenda, which probably could have filled three days easy. But here's what happened. People were rested. Hmm. People were encouraged. People were connected with one another. People mm -hmm. had a sense that God's favor was with them, even though they were facing insurmountable challenges. Mm -hmm. And then when we started asking really hard questions about the next year and the next five, there was creativity. Huh. There was insight. When there was a disagreement, it wasn't a disagreement between enemies. It was a disagreement between brothers and sisters. It was much easier to move past the disagreement to a point of agreement on one person's perspective. In mm. the end, that three-day meeting ended in the middle of day three. And they wow. had an afternoon, having finished the agenda well, to just celebrate what God was doing among them. My argument is sometimes unhurried is quicker than hurried. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I I know knew our time would race by because uh, you have got <laughs> just so many rich insights. And you have a new book that's coming out. Tell mm. us about that. Yeah. The, in February of 2024, my new book, which is titled A Non-Anxious Life, subtitle mm. is Experiencing the Peace of God's Presence. It's mm. not a sequel to these unhurried books that I've written, but it's a follow-on. Because mm. the more I talk with folks about hurry, the more I realize a lot of our hurry is rooted in anxiety. I know mine mm. is. And mm. so this is maybe the most personal book I've written, and I'm really excited about its coming out in a few months. 
Wow. And we'll leave links uh, to how you can get that or pre-order that so that it gets into your mailbox as soon as uh, it's released. But, uh, Alan, thank you for this book. I really recommend this book uh, uh, to our listeners, they're just—I uh, think that's so chronic uh, across the culture today. Uh, good mm. people wanting to make a difference, and yet uh, sometimes exhausted, burned out, and just sensing in your heart that the, it, there just ought to be a better way. Surely, serving God—you yep. uh, shouldn't be burning out when you're trying to follow God's will. Uh, certainly, that's not yep. the direct. He would not lead you to burnout. So we nope. know we've gotten off the rail somewhere along the way. And so thank you, Alan. We'll, we'll, uh, please check all the show notes. You'll see a list of his books and how to get them and uh, his website, podcasts. Uh, he's just got a wealth of great information, and I really encourage you to go there and avail yourself of that. And so thank you, Alan. You, you have given me new resolve to go back and, <laughs> uh, and, and do what I think God is uh, trying to get me to do uh, for not just my own benefit, but from everybody else around me as well. So thank you for yeah. being with us. Well, it's good to be in recovery together, and it was, <laughs> it was nice to be able to visit with you. Thanks for the invite. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.